Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Evidence. I'm Bob Small here with the doctor out in California, Dr. Todd Feynman. He's the president and founder of Dr. Evidence. And we're going to talk today about how medical evidence can help you make decisions about your medical issues. Now, if you'd like to learn more for yourself, we encourage you to call us. The number here is 661-5051. And if you have a medical condition that you're just learning about, or maybe you're not sure how you feel and maybe something is happening and you want to learn how medical evidence might help you make that decision better, this is the time to call us. You'll be speaking to Dr. Todd Feynman. He is the president again and founder of Dr. Evidence, this is a company that is now putting together the medical evidence to help you make, and everybody, anybody, make the decision about their medical situations. It even helps doctors, it helps insurance companies, and of course, definitely helps the patient. Let's get the doctor on right now. Have I properly described this? I want to help everybody understand what medical evidence really is. Well, I guess the best way to start doing that is to distinguish medical evidence from non-evidence or distinguish the difference between evidence and opinions. Let's start with opinions. Opinions are what people or experts will recommend or suggest. For example, a movie reviewer or critic will say this is the best movie. This is the most fabulous movie. A medical expert will say, this is the best therapy. This is a therapy I recommend. This therapy has been proven to work. Evidence, on the other hand, will give you numbers. It will give you data, statistics about whether something works or not. For instance, so, how many people actually went to see a particular movie? Exactly. Now, if somebody were going to get evidence about a movie, they would say, you know, 90% of the people who went to the movies... This weekend, went and saw, you know, uh, Shrek 3. That's evidence that the movie's great because 90% of the people who went to see a movie saw that movie. If you're considering a therapy and you want to use evidence, you need numbers. And, for example, if you were trying to pick a therapy out for your child who has an ear infection you and the choices were antibiotics versus Motrin versus doing nothing at all, an opinion would say, oh, I recommend antibiotics for your kid's ear infection. Evidence would tell you how many kids took antibiotics and how, what percentage of them were cured or had resolution of their pain and fever. Or evidence would tell you how many patients did nothing, how many kids did nothing, no treatment, and how many of them resolved, cured, got rid of their symptoms on their own. And you compare those numbers. So if 80% of the kids who took antibiotics were cured and 75% of the kids who took no antibiotics were cured, you would compare the 80 to the 75% and say, well, some people would say that's not a very big number. Maybe I'll just don't, I won't take antibiotics since there's no big difference between treatment and no treatment. Other people might look at that and say 5%, that's a big difference to me. I will do the treatment. That's very interesting. Uh, we do have a caller on the line right now, doctor, so let's go right to the phones. Yes, doctor. My husband had a triple bypass about 14 years ago, and he is being tested, getting stress tests and so forth at this point, and there's a possibility he's going to need a defibrillator. Um, however, we need facts to know um, whether the defibrillator is right for him because we understand there are risks also. So the question is, what should, are I, should my husband be getting a defibrillator or not? You're questioning whether he should actually have it, correct? Um, he's, 
they're, they're testing him to see whether he needs a defibrillator, and um, also it will be up to him to go ahead with that procedure. But he also knows there are risks in having a defibrillator. They're not always, um, you know, it's not always the right answer. There are risks as well as um, pros to having a defibrillator. What's the diagnosis that he has that led to the recommendation that he gets a defibrillator? What's his arrhythmia? What, why, why are they recommending it? Because when he undergoes the stress test, there seems to be um, a problem with um, the, um, the heart rate. And so they're saying rather than chance not having one, perhaps you should have the defibrillator. And now he's doing diet, exercise, and medication to help his situation but he's still um, concerned about the risk once a defibrillator is implanted. So there so the, are pros, but there are cons, we understand, from facts and research. You don't, you don't know the name of the arrhythmia. Is he having, is, it, is his heart not beating at certain times, or is it going into an abnormal rhythm? Is it, is it going into a, a fatal rhythm? I mean, did, did they tell you any more details than that, or they just said it was a bad rhythm that needs a defibrillator? That, that they would like to um, do the procedure to have possibly see uh, during the procedure uh, with the test whether he needs a defibrillator or not. He's concerned because he also hears, understands from his research that there are um, cons about getting defibrillators. They're not always the right answer. Okay, so the question is this. These are the questions you need to ask. Is, these are the questions you should consider asking your doctors. Question number one. Why does he need the defibrillator? In other words, what outcomes are you preventing or treatment or treating with the defibrillator? What is the evidence that the defibrillator will prevent a fatal or dangerous heart rhythm? Mm -hmm. And then what is the evidence that the defibrillator will prolong life, increase survival? And you want to get the evidence about a defibrillator, and you, then you want to get evidence about in patients who do not use a get a defibrillator. So you right. want to compare the evidence for patients who end up getting a defibrillator to patients who did not get a defibrillator and see which group had better outcomes. But when you get the evidence, when you ask for that evidence, you've got to make sure the evidence includes patients just like your husband, same medical conditions, same arrhythmia, same rhythm problem, same stress test results. Everything should be the patients in those studies should resemble your husband. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to compare different treatments, and, and when you get those numbers, you'll be able to be able to tell, make an informed decision about whether or not the defibrillator effectively prevents any adverse outcome, negative outcome. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you want to see what percentage of patients who get a defibrillator end up having, you know, uh, adverse events, you know, defibrillator going off by accident or not going off when it should or, you know, post-operative infections or bleeding, et cetera. Right. So you want to get numbers of that, how many patients had complications. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, yes. This is very helpful. And also, he can also go on the Internet and, and um, get the information or um, work with you on the Internet. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we have, we have two technologies and services. One is where people sign up and they submit the question. So you have your question, you know, what is the evidence that defibrillator is safe and effective in patients like your husband? Mm -hmm. And you, what we would do is we would look up the studies for you. We would find and deliver the studies that include patients like your husband. 
and we would deliver to those studies to you in your own personalized web-based portal. And you would read those studies either you would read them yourself or you would read them with your doctors, and you would use that evidence in those studies to make an informed decision. Our other technology actually translates the evidence, but that is a very expensive technology. Um, most patients don't do that. We usually do that for, you know, a hospital or a manufacturer of a product or somebody who can afford to do that. But the other service is very affordable. Yes. Well, this is wonderful information, and I appreciate it very much, and I will give him all the information that you've given me today, and I think he'll be also contacting you in the future because it is a very big decision. Yeah, it's all about, I mean, the most important is to ask the right questions and demand evidence to answer that question. Yes, yes. Well, I'll certainly give him all this information. You've been very helpful. Okay, it's great talking to you, and it's a good question. I hope he uh, ends up in a good place. Thank you so much, doctor. Okay, bye. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank you for calling. Well, that was a great call. Yeah, that's, that's what we want. People should be calling in and telling us about their situations. We'll help them figure out what are the right questions to ask, and what kind of evidence will help them get those questions answered. You're listening to Dr. Evidence with Dr. Todd Feynman, calling us from California, where the Dr. Evidence operation is. He's the president and founder of the operation. And again, you can call us here at 1490WGCH. Our number is 661-5051, area code 203-661-5051. So, that that was interesting. I I I noticed you were helping the caller develop the questions. I mean, she knew she had an issue, but she wasn't quite sure what questions to ask. Yeah, you could tell her instinct was, "Wow, a defibrillator! This thing shocks you. Does it work? Is it safe? Is there any other options?" I think inside every patient there is a doctor, and those and you got to wake that doctor up inside you. That doctor inside you has to ask the right questions. And if you're not sure what questions to ask, come to Dr. Evidence. We'll help you frame those questions. But the only way to get those questions asked, answered, is to get evidence. You can get opinions anywhere. You can go to your doctors, you can go to websites and get opinions. But opinions will only tell you what might happen. Evidence will tell you what did happen in patients like yourself. So if you want to find out, for example, in the last caller we talked to, you want to find out what happens to patients who get defibrillators, go to the evidence, go to the studies that include patients who got defibrillators. You'll find out what happened. How many of them got defibrillators? How many of them survived over five years? How many ended up, you know, ha- having defibrillators, you know, trigger correctly or incorrectly? So th- that's where you get that kind of evidence. Doctor, I've, I've been speaking to people uh, during the week about this show, and um, I find many people feel very special about their doctor. This is a person that um, they're afraid of offending, that uh, there's something magical that takes place that the doctor does, and they're very afraid of, of confronting him with evidence uh, that they're liable to be, uh, the doctor might be offended. What do you say to this? I'll say this. I am a doctor, and I have lots of friends who are doctors. I've been a patient. My family is made up of lots of patients. I have friends who are patients. And we can sympathize with that position. It is, it is uncomfortable going up to a doctor and confronting him or questioning him because you hope and you expect your doctor to be an authority on, in, on all medical subjects or the medical subject you're there for. However, if you walk into a doctor and wave a bunch of copies of information you got off the Internet or from a magazine 
or from, you know, let's say WebMD or, or from Glamour magazine or something like that, a doctor is not going to be uh, very, let's say, um, open. He, yeah, he won't be as excited or he might be turned off by seeing that type of information because it's really, you know, opinion-based reviews written by so-called experts and you just don't know whether it's evidence or not. However, if you walk into a doctor's office and hand him copies of clinical studies, he's going to make copies of those studies and he's likely going to read them with you or for you. We actually did a project for a patient who was diagnosed with prostate cancer and he called us asking for evidence about diagnostic tests to determine whether the cancer was hitting his nerves or not, the nerves that supply his, you know, his private parts. He didn't want to end up impotent or incontinent. And we got him evidence about a specialized MRI that literally goes up the bum and takes pictures of the prostate and the nerves. And he showed that evidence to his doctor. The doctor literally made copies of the studies we gave him and read them. And he called the insurance plan and helped that patient get approval for this MRI. The MRI was done, and there it showed that the cancer was hitting his nerve. And the surgery that was planned and scheduled right. for Thursday of the next week was canceled based on that MRI results. Oh, that's fantastic. Look, some doctors, I guess, would be ambivalent or defensive about getting handed evidence, but most doctors are going to welcome evidence, especially when you bring it to them and it's relevant, it's the right evidence, it's all the evidence. They may not have time to read it for you, but they're not going to, they're going to, most doctors would encourage you to get it and read it. Well, we've gotten another caller as you were talking, and I believe the caller's name is uh, Kevin. Kevin, you're on the air with us. Hi, how are you? Um, I have a question for uh, Dr. Todd. Um, you guys talk a lot about evidence. I'm not sure exactly where you all get it, but how do you tell the difference between, like, good and bad evidence? Like, I don't know, how do you, how do you discriminate that? Doctor, did you hear that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We get asked that all the time by doctors and methodologists and patients. That's the kind of question everybody should be asking because there is evidence that ranges from good evidence, great evidence, evidence that proves beyond a reasonable doubt whether something works or not, and then there's bad evidence. It's just you know poorly designed studies that delivers evidence that proves nothing. And in some cases, there's no evidence. They've just never studied a question. For example, if the question is, is treatment for prostate cancer better than no treatment? Good evidence would come from studies, large studies, that have patients with prostate cancer, the same kind of prostate cancer that you have that you're interested in, and they randomize patients to treatment and randomize an equal group of patients to no treatment. And they follow these patients for 10 to 20 years. And all the patients return from follow-up. And at the end of the 10 or 20 years, they see how many patients in each group are still alive, how many died, how many had recurrence of prostatic cancer, how many ended up with metastatic prostatic cancer, how many ended up with complications from the treatments they got. So you compare the treatment group to the no treatment group. That's good evidence. That, and, and, I, and, and then you have to read the evidence, see what happened, make your own informed decision about whether the evidence proves treatment's better than no treatment. Bad evidence, for example, would come from 
let's say, a study that was only done on two patients and the patients really aren't similar to you and, you know, it's a small study and they didn't really compare one thing to another thing and that's more like a case report, that would be considered low-level evidence. I mean, I guess the lowest level of evidence would be, you know, for somebody, let's say you're diagnosed with um, bleeding ulcers and you're wondering if you should do surgery versus medication or whatever, and you know, you wouldn't want to go look at a, in a dog study. That would be bad evidence. You'd want a human study where they randomize, you know, one treatment group to medications, another treatment to surgery. So that, that's how you really determine good evidence from bad evidence. But it's a complex question requires, you know, uh, you know more education and more teaching on that. But that, that's some of the sound bites re- about that. Okay, so it's mostly, I guess, how they set how they set the studies up or? Yeah, it's all about evidence, where the evidence came from. It, evidence has to come from, evidence always comes from either a study or a report of patients. For example, you know, if you're trying to determine, a long time ago they were trying to figure out what, you know, how was AIDS or hepatitis transmitted. You know, that wasn't done in a randomly controlled trial. That was done, you know, in an epidemiological study where they they went out and followed patients who ended up with AIDS and, and determined that it was these patients were getting the blood-borne HIV virus through needles or sex, things like that. So, you know, that's a different type of study. So you have to figure out where the evidence came from, and then you got to figure out if they designed the study correctly. Did they have enough patients in the study? Were the patients in the study similar to yourself? Did they measure the right outcomes? You know, if you, let's say you're going on a cholesterol-lowering drug, you want to know if the study's just measuring whether the drug lowers cholesterol, that's not good enough. You want to know if the drug actually prevents heart attack, death, or stroke. So it's all about how the study was designed and whether they measured the good outcomes or not. So Dr. Evidence... They are the ones that are able to take this and look at all the studies and look at all the evidence and pick out what is good evidence from bad evidence. Am I right? Yeah, we would. Dr. Evidence, if, if you can't do it yourself, Dr. Evidence is going to deliver all the studies that answer your question. Then it's up to you. We, we give some basic, we provide some basic tutorial tools that help you grade the evidence. You know, grade it, let's say, one through five. Five is the highest level of evidence and one is the lowest level. And you can grade your own evidence and you use all the evidence to figure out if there's an answer to your question or not. So, if, for example, if you have cancer, you want to find the treatment that has the best survival rate. You want to find the treatment that has the lowest recurrence rate. If you have, let's say, a skin infection, you know, let's say you have rosacea or you have uh, um, cellulitis, you know, you want to find treatments that have the highest cure rates. So it's all about, you know, getting the studies and reading the studies, grading the evidence, and determining which treatment has been, been proven to be the most effective and the safest. And I do have another caller, Mary. Hi, I wanted to know, what if I go to my doctor and I get a diagnosis and I go to Dr. Evidence to find out more evidence about what the doctor said and the, say that Dr. Evidence gives me a different um, diagnosis or they give me different information about a treatment the doctor I went to didn't give me. How do I approach my doctor that I'm going to with what Dr. Evidence suggested? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a common question. And as I said before, if your doctor gives you a diagnosis, are you, question, are you questioning the diagnosis or are you questioning the treatment recommendation? Well, either. If, let's say, the doctor gives you a diagnosis and let's say he says you have uh, Lyme disease and you get evidence showing that, well, you know, maybe there's some other tests that should be done to confirm whether or not you truly do have Lyme disease, then you would bring those studies that show there are other tests that are more accurate or other tests that are, should be done to confirm that it's a true diagnosis. You just bring those studies to your doctor and show it to them. Your doctor is likely going to read those studies with you. If the doctor says, oh, I don't need to read those studies or I don't want to read those studies or I don't have time, then, you know, that's a decision you're going to have to, that's a personal decision you're going to have to make about, you know, whether that doctor is the doctor you want to see or not. Because there are plenty of doctors out there who are willing to read evidence they've never seen before about the accuracy of the diagnostic test they're ordering or not ordering. On the other hand, if your doctor recommends, let's say you've been diagnosed with Lyme disease and you're certain and the evidence confirms your doctor ordered the right test, then you get evidence regarding treatments. And let's say the evidence shows that your doctor didn't recommend the best treatment or didn't recommend the treatment you think is the best treatment based on the evidence. Again, bring those studies to your doctor and say, look, the cure rate for the evidence for the treatment you recommended is only, you know, 70%, but the cure rate for the treatment that I found in the studies is 90%. Let's, you know, what's the problem? Why is there two different numbers? And your doctor should look at that evidence with you and reconcile it and figure out what, you know, is, is the evidence... Is the evidence that you looked at, is it the correct evidence? If it is, then he may change his treatment recommendation, or he may have a reason why he doesn't think that evidence is, is worthy of a treatment recommendation change. Well, am I going to anger him by bringing him information, and what if he doesn't read the information I bring? Well, that's a decision you have to make about whether or not you want to continue seeing a doctor who doesn't want to read evidence about the effectiveness for a diagnostic test and or treatment. Because what's most important here is your health, right? You want to get yeah. cured. You want to get the safest, most effective treatment. If, you're, if your priorities are to make the doctor happy, then, you know, you're going to have a problem possibly with evidence. But if your priorities are to get the best treatments that are available, the treatments that have been proven to be most effective, and you believe in evidence and you want to use evidence, and your doctor doesn't, and that's, a that's a decision you have to make about, you know, whether to continue seeing that doctor or not. That helps me out. Thank you, caller. Well, Doctor, we've had an interesting show today. A few callers giving us uh, some idea of uh, the issues that uh, are confronting people today in regards to their medical conditions and, and how evidence can help them. Um, and we're pretty close to wrapping up the show, so uh, I, I've got to encourage anyone who's uh, planning to call, please call again next week. We're on again next Thursday at 1230 right here on 1490 WGCH. Dr. Todd, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, I'll add a lot more next week, but bottom line is we do not give opinions or recommendations, and uh, we, what we do is deliver the evidence and help people read the evidence, make an informed decision, but then ultimately it is up to the patient and or the doctors to use the evidence to make an informed decision. We bring it to the water, but you got to drink it. Dr. Todd Feynman, thank you very much for calling in today to Dr. Evidence. It is your show, of course, so I'm sure you were going to call in. Um, I'm Bob Small, and I've been your host today. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Thank you.